Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Coming up towards 10 o'clock here on Future Sense with Nick Jeans, myself, and Steve McDonald. Um, frustration and fear seem to be pretty endemic on the planet for many reasons of the inaction or lack of focus on what people consider to be the major issues of the day, whether it be the climate crisis or uh, social injustice or the many other issues that we have. And we're probably seeing uh, what a term that I actually didn't even think about until you brought to my attention yesterday the, the term moral outrage. And clearly, once you start thinking about that, we are seeing a lot of moral outrage. So we thought we would have a, a look at what that means and why that may be uh, is so prevalent at the moment at this time on in uh, on the planet. Sounds good. What have you got there? Well, I've got uh, an article here from uh, Tanya Luna who is the co-CEO CEO of Life Labs Learning, an author, a researcher, and a co-host of the podcast, Talk Psych to Me. And she has written a piece uh, a few days ago called Guilt, Moral Outrage, and uh, the Oscar Speech, which uh, refers to um, Joachim Phoenix's recent speech at the Oscars, intending to stir connection and empathy. So she says, for many it did just that, and for many others it sparked moral outrage. And why? Well, he invited Phoenix, invited viewers to join Quote, the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender, one species has the right to dominate, use and control another with impunity. And for the majority of the audience members, the call for human rights and equality produced a cognitive congruence, a psychologically pleasing consistency between Phoenix's words, their beliefs and their self-concept. But it was only when Phoenix added species to the list that nodding heads turned to furrowed brows. And not only did some people dislike the lumping of speciesism with other forms of isms like racism and sexism, they felt compelled to take action, sharing their anger on social media. I, I guess the use of that word species really implied that he was talking about you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Me? <laughs> I don't know, I think he was talking about animals, I think, but those people who are not vegans yet uh, and uh, who perhaps don't support the rights of all species on the planet to, to go like, hey, that's going too far. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not happy with that. He don't speak for, don't speak for us. Yeah, know, yeah. Like, yeah, it's certainly pointing a finger at all humans, mm. that's for sure. I mean, there's another example in this article, just, just quote this piece too, to give a bit of a context to it. Um, after inducing, well, so there was some, some research by uh, Rothschild and Kiefer in 2017, uh, she says in this article, Tanya Luna, that might explain this intense reaction. And this is it. After inducing moral guilt in their participants... The authors discovered that participants coped by finding a third-party target of moral outrage. For example, learning that they had purchased clothing made by child labourers led to expressions of outrage against the wrongdoing corporation, which then reduced feelings of guilt 
and personal culpability. And Rothschild and Kiefer aptly named this reaction a cleansing fire. In other words, by sort of a third-party uh, um, outrage, actually it's not really affecting you directly. People felt actually better about themselves in doing so. Yeah, and that sounds exactly like what's known as psychological projection, where mm. people project their, their uh, difficulties onto something else or someone else. Yes. Yeah, they also go on to say it's like a coping mechanism or a defence mechanism protecting people's positive self-concept. In other words, it feels good to have that outrage about something that's that distant that you're actually not really capable of doing that much about. Or are you? Are you actually going to change your habits? Are you not going to go down uh, to, the, to the local store and buy a pair of sneakers made in, you know, some place with child made by child labour and so on? Yeah, certainly it's a way of predicting. Protecting one's self-image or ego. Mm. Uh, you know, if we can put the default of whatever it is that we're feeling uncomfortable about outside ourselves, uh, then it means that we don't have to face ourselves and perhaps um, impact our self-image in some way. And uh, I think you've got an article here from Psychology Today on the psychology of moral outrage. As yes, well, there's, there's quite a few. Uh, I was going to bring attention just in, in a, the wider context from a piece in Psychological Science, yeah. uh, which talks about social media uh, in particular, because a lot of this outrage becomes viral because of social media, of course, and the exactly. way that uh, these, these platforms operate now. Um, and uh, in many cases, social media posts uh, that are met with viral outrage were never intended to be seen by people outside of the posters' social circle. So interestingly, when people are talking in the bubble of themselves to each other, that's kind of okay, but once it sort of leaks out, as can do with social media, suddenly it becomes something else yeah. and, uh, and gets out of hand. And uh, then the outrage sort of goes both ways and, um, yeah... That, that's true. One of the difficulties too is that social media platforms seems to be uh, they seem to be regularly changing their algorithms, which impacts who gets to see what you write, and, and often quite unexpectedly, without announcing anything, they'll change an algorithm so that all of a sudden what you think is just going to be seen by your friends gets seen by friends of your friends and those sorts of things. Yes. And uh, and of course everybody has a voice. Everybody who can get access to social media has a voice now. So there seem to be a lot more voices out there. Yes, well, there's another article I have here from Johns Hopkins University <coughs> by Molly Crockett, uh, an article called Moral Outrage Overload, How Social Media May Be Changing Our Brains, even going that far. But clearly there's some research that she has done which indicates that moral outrage, uh, actually, if you get supported in your outrage, the expression of outrage, then you get quite a strong uh, dopamine hit. The dopamine pathways are triggered in the brain, flooding it with positive reinforcement. However, if it goes sort of awry and people start objecting to you don't get that hit anymore yeah uh, and again as i said earlier there is a, there's a protection in some sense but with social media because you you can be anonymous uh, you might have an avatar for example and of course you're not actually meeting people face to face who you you're outraged against or those who are contesting your outrage yeah mm. yeah and getting back to the uh, to the self-image or ego again you know when you get mm. reinforcement from other people uh, following some kind of projection like that, of course, it makes the ego feel good because you, you're kind of getting reassured that there's nothing wrong with you. It's not your fault. Yeah. You don't need to look at yourself. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's interesting in the original article about uh, the Oscars uh, that I... And we'll post all these, uh, these links to these articles. Um, there's a, a piece here that how to learn from your feelings of moral outrage. And these are, these are interesting questions. I'm interested in your comments on these. Yeah. To ask yourselves about uh, the, the feelings of moral outrage that, you might, that might rise in you. And these questions are, am I feeling threatened? 
And if so, what do I feel is at risk? And this comes back to this frustration and fear that we'll, we'll elucidate on further. Yeah. Might I be feeling guilt or shame? And if so, why? Aren't I doing enough? Uh, how can I make a change? How can I make a difference? Um, how do these feelings clash with my identity, values or self-concept? And that's, that's a big one. And lastly, what would make me feel more whole, clean or aligned with my beliefs moving forward? And then she goes on to say, real personal growth starts with spotting your own cognitive dissonance. And that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a very accurate observation. Mm. Very, very good. We certainly have a lot to complain about at the moment. I mean, the, the world is in disarray and uh, many of our social systems are not working like they used to. And, and we're faced with potentially some very, very large global scale issues that we don't seem to have solutions for at the moment or, or if we do have an idea of how to address them, we don't seem to know how to to make them uh, happen. Mm. Um, I think just looking at Graves' uh, model, there are some clues here which point to reasons why we're seeing an outbreak of moral outrage and why people are so unsure, upset and, and angry about things at the moment and wanting to uh, express that. The first one is that our change state is in transition. So yeah. uh, the change process takes us from stability when things are fine and then we respond or, or adapt to changing life conditions by feeling stressful when things don't seem to be working quite as well as they used to. And yeah. often when we feel that initial stress, we don't know why and we just kind of wake up and think to ourselves, you know, I don't quite feel right today. There seems to be something wrong, but I'm not sure what it is. Mm. And then that can send us on what we call a regressive value search. So that feeling is telling us that our way of living, our value set maybe doesn't match what's required in the world right now. And and when that feeling becomes strong enough, you know, the stress reaches a, a, a certain level, uh, it can drive us to start to think back typically to a previous time where things were okay and how we used to live back then and usually uh, in examples of major transitions or major change that means thinking back to a time when we held different values mm. and lived a different set of values and of course there's a, there's a huge uh, disjunct there between the, the fairly obvious need in our societies for a new set of values and this regressive search back to this place of safety and comfortability of older values that that worked then yeah and I guess that's quite a psychological screw up for many people to have hold those two things in place it is it can be a bit of a no man's land so we mm. find ourselves thinking life isn't working all that well uh, remembering a time in the past when it did work well and facing the the dilemma I guess of you know what what are my values then should I go back to living the way that I used to or do I continue trying to make the current ways of living work and for many people they probably wouldn't even think about the idea of value systems or, or values they're just basically you know reacting to what's going on in life and thinking things aren't good I remember a time when things were good maybe I need to change yeah. somehow uh, and and inevitably that leads us eventually into a place where our values of systems are falling apart and, and that falling apart is a necessary part of the change process because like any structured system if we're going to change the structure the old structure has to disassemble itself mm. or be disassembled somehow uh, so at the moment uh, in our um, assessment the whole world is going through a value shift and not just one value shift but multiple simultaneous value shifts mm -hmm. the the most prevalent when we look at the dominant 
global values, uh, which just generally centred around uh, the scientific industrial era values. Competition, uh, corporation, uh, consumerism, and yeah, so forth, yeah. Yeah, so we see them um, failing to cope, basically. They're, they're nice, not sufficient to manage the complexity of the world anymore. And this is showing up, of course, right across society. It doesn't matter what area you want to look at, you'll see... Mm. Uh, structures, organisations starting to lose the plot in disarray, not functioning well, uh, an increase in radical behaviour uh, and some revealing of, uh, um, you know, illegal or immoral yeah. behaviours. Yeah. Uh, quite quite a lot of uh, revelations around that at the moment and, of course, the, it also fits with the, the astrological patterns going on at the moment, doesn't it? It does indeed. Yes, big planets in Capricorn, for those who are interested in that, Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter moving through Capricorn and disrupting everything. Uh, if you're an astrologer, you'd subscribe to that view and it seems pretty certain that's what's happening and that collapse of the value systems of course uh, also sees many people that's where moral outrage arises from partly because uh, people are seeing those old values not working anymore and are raging against the machine so to speak and so why aren't you changing why can't why can't look at this this is wrong you're wrong those corporations are wrong that government's wrong that leader is wrong and projecting their that uh, that frustration onto onto the, the powers that be now knowing that they're not doing the job but not knowing where to go with that and what is going to emerge from that yeah and there's an old adage that goes anger is fear expressed and i think that's a very accurate description of uh you know what's behind fear is usually if you're afraid if you really stop and think about it there's a fear under there somewhere which is making you angry and if we look around at the world at the moment we're seeing uh the process of corporate capture running rampant where everything seems to be controlled by people who've got enough money to control it often large corporations uh, even to the point of controlling governments, uh, which uh, seem to be working for their own self-interest in the interest of, of their corporate sponsors rather than the interest of the general public in well, many cases. I've seen the sports rorts and the other rorts uh, in our own government here that, uh, that are now currently in the, in the news and the, uh, the denial of that and the, and the moral outrage understandable uh, against that, that pork barrelling and... Uh, you know, manipulation really of the, of the supposedly democratic system. Yeah, another news report here in Australia this morning about uh, another project which was around funding to alleviate uh, traffic congestion, most of which uh, was apparently spent <laughs> oh, right. on electorates that were uh, that were uh, running a, a fine line against you know in terms of who was going to win them. Yeah, uh, and and spent in the government's favour. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of that going on. And we're all, we've also seen generally over the last decade or two a, a very clear move away from the rule of law. So, um, you know, laws and moral structures are generally created within the communal value system. So historically we're talking about traditional tribal uh, living where we had very clear customs and taboos, which were our guidelines on how to live life. And then uh, we went through uh, an egocentric warlike stage where we saw the rise of warlords and those sorts of things and that was an individually oriented value system and it's in those that we tend to break the rules so they they often arise because of the feeling suffocated by the rules and then we we go crazy and want to do what we, whatever we can get away with and then inevitably evolution swings us back to the communal way of living again and uh, historically the next one was the authoritarian agricult- agricultural era which gave rise to our religious uh, structures, all of the main religions that we have at the moment, and their rule books with lists of what to do, how to live life. Bring down the tablets from the mountain. Exactly. 
uh, and uh, and that with the rise of social media and the insight that we have inside in organi- inside organisations, things are being or coming to light, being revealed that we didn't know about and couldn't see before, and, and we're seeing that okay, there's actually a lot of uh, law breaking and mm. immoral behaviour going on at the moment, and. Uh, it's, it's reasonable to say that the scientific industrial era, again another individually oriented era, uh, was to a large extent about making our own rules and, and from a religious mm. standpoint we moved away from the idea in the agricultural era that answers came from God, if we needed to know about anything. Mm to the point where, hang on a minute, we can we can do science and we can discover the answers ourselves and we can make up our own rules and and, uh, and form them around our, our personal needs, our personal success was the main driver during that era. Uh, and the moral code that emerged from that was it's about being successful first and foremost and doing whatever you can get away with. Mm. And what that meant in practice was that you knew who you needed support from in life, whether it be an organisation or individuals, in order to be successful personally. And so you didn't want to damage those connections Mm. in any way that might put your own success in jeopardy. Mining companies, lobby groups, et cetera, et cetera. So so you were strategic about it. You had a strategy and you would be very careful, you know, not to uh, dirty your own nest, as they say. Uh, and uh, and with again with the insight there ha- that we have particularly through social media where anybody in any organisation regardless of their place in the organisation can have a global voice yes. we're seeing that uh, some terrible things have been done behind the, the curtain of public image yeah. which was mar- managed very carefully of course uh, yeah. during that era yeah. and uh, and some of those issues you know are making headlines in the news today I mean uh, the treatment of Julian Assange is, is a great example and I, I believe that the, the hearing is being held today oh, it's today yeah, uh, right. about his potential uh, extradition to the USA of course there was a report I don't have it up in front of me of uh, how his meeting with his lawyers in the Ecuadorian embassy was bugged and they listened to and I would have thought that would have thrown the case out, out of the court straight away but I'm sure it won't mm. not yet yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, we might take a break and we'll come back and just look at some of the evolutionary issues that are behind the rise of moral outrage at the moment, some of the, the aspects of human nature which really point to the fact that we should be expecting moral outrage right now and, and maybe take us to the question of what should we be doing about it. Yeah. You're on BFM, it's 10.15 here on Future Sense. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage. Emerge, activate, and spiral up. YouTube FM, it's 10.20 here on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald. We're talking about moral outrage. Do you have some? Yes, you probably do. Indeed, and life conditions are changing on our planet, and Claire Graves, in his research, found this amazing link between the complexity of life conditions and the adaptive nature of human consciousness. And when there was a significant shift in complexity, our consciousness would sense that and change the way that we interpreted reality at a very, very deep subconscious level, which showed up at a surface level as things like values changed. In other words, the things that we place importance upon changed, and then that played out through our behaviour. That's a function too of capacity, isn't it, of 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 an increasing capacity due to changing life conditions, uh, enabling that more existential ability to, or ability to think existentially on on a bigger level. Yeah, Mm. exactly. I mean, it it is an increasing capacity, Mm. uh, the shift itself, yeah. 
and uh, and so uh, maybe the the most widespread example of change in life conditions at the moment is climate change on the planet which is affecting everybody everywhere mm. and this and many other changes uh, are triggering a value shift for many people at a global scale we're seeing a shift from the values associated with the scientific industrial era uh, layer five in claire graves's model to the next more complex value system which is layer six and is typified by a network centric approach to life and structuring things in networks a very humanistic attitude and a tendency to uh, to take an anthropocentric viewpoint on things and see them in terms of their impact on human experience Uh, And and it's also important too to remember that this is not the only shift that's taking place. There are countries that have been living in an authoritarian way and uh, China is a great example of that at the moment that uh, are probably experiencing a whole range of value shifts but a a significant amount of people would quite possibly be feeling the the, uh, urge to shift from layer 4 to layer 5 and take a more scientific industrial Mm approach to things and that's certainly evident in the growing industrialization we see in china and also india is another example in in a similar category there it's also interesting with china i think that uh, because of that or with in in in, uh, concert with that that people and i've read some reports on this that people are are quite unwilling to contest their their government and 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 the situation that's there and yet things are changing and they know things are changing i guess as people come out of poverty and more and more people move into the middle class in countries like china to trade off between, well, well, I get more wealth, I get more security, more safety, I'm not going to actually contest uh, my government or the structures of society, even though I don't actually really feel like I agree with it anymore. We've certainly seen that in Hong Kong. That's an obvious example there. Yeah, and the prevalence of those layer four authoritarian mm. values where people are are actually looking to uh, sacrifice their freedom in service of a higher authority. That's that's a, one of the primary motivations of that mm-hmm. value set. Uh, you can see that they're still quite prevalent and, yes. and it's played well in terms of the requirement to lock down whole cities yeah. uh, for the coronavirus threat because people are very willing you know, to sacrifice yeah. their own freedom in order to serve the, the greater good. Interesting there. point. You wonder whether in the States or in this country whether the same sort of uh, compliance would uh, would apply. Well, Probably not. I don't think we would see that no. simply because of the more individually oriented yes. value systems yes. that are at play. Mm. Yeah. So typically when we shift from one value system to the next, we go through this change process that I mentioned earlier which can take us through a bit of a, a values no man's land where we're not quite sure what our values are or what to believe what to hang on to uh, part of that is the regressive search to look back to the values that we used to live by often we'll try them out and we're certainly seeing a lot of that in society across the world at the moment people trying out the old authoritarian very rigid black and white values where from a time where life was simpler but in fact uh, the the net effect of that is to speed up the movement, the shift itself, because they don't work, and they don't work uh, to a greater extent than the, mm. than the scientific, scientific industrial values. I guess um, the, the moral outrage is, a, is an expression of exactly that, is it? And it is definitely on both sides of the political spectrum. This uh, this polarization into your point of view, your safety zone, and, and yeah. the outrage that you might feel against someone who doesn't uh, comply with how you see things and what you believe in. Yeah, that's right. And, and when we go through a value shift, it's very normal. Uh, in the first tier that is the first set of six value systems that we have a strong rejection of what came before Mm. so we're seeing that play out certainly a very strong rejection of the old scientific industrial way of living Um, and 
where because the communal systems are where we create our moral codes and and that is by necessity because in communal systems when we're living together in large groups we need to have a set of rules to live by otherwise certain conformity don't mm. work there has to be conformity and people are drawn to want to conform um, we are in the process of creating a new moral code which is associated with layer six mm. and uh, that's certainly been pioneered in uh, certain countries and towns and cities around the world but now we're looking to sort of lock that down on a on a global scale and for those who are newly shifting into layer six once you get through the the hardest part of that change process through the sort of chaotic phase where we go through uh, the pressure of changing our, our biological systems and our psychological systems mm. once we pop out the other side of that there's immediately a kind of evangelical drive that comes with having successfully reached uh, you know the, the new value set and even though we haven't integrated the new values and might not even be living them uh, fully we want to tell everybody else about them and we want to tell everybody else that they should be living that particular way interesting I just I've got I've got a quote here from Norman Doig who wrote of course the brain that changes itself who said ideologues are people who pretend they know how to make the world a better place before they've taken care of their own chaos within that's right and, and that's that's a, a direct reference to this sort of evangelical energy yes. uh, in what we call the renewal phase. So once we sort of break through the perceived barriers of, of being able to live life the way that we want to live it, uh, we get energised and it's like we've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. We haven't got there yet, but we've seen it and we're so energised and happy about that that we have to expend that energy somehow and certainly some of that at the moment I, I think is coming out as this moral outrage of telling other people that they should be living yes. like we want to live. Yes. Yeah. And as, uh, I have a piece here from the, uh, called The Psychology of Moral Outrage and talks about um, the, the crucial findings uh, that show that it has an emotional regulating effect and especially in groups in collectives who have the same view and can be outrageous morally outrageous together this is actually very uh, very helpful to them because they feel that they're not wrong and you couldn't possibly be as you are doing the right thing with your moral outrage within the, the group or the setting that you exist in and this is a reason to be a bit suspicious according to this article of anyone whose moral outrage is too visible and that's interesting, isn't it? Because, it, as we're saying, uh, moral outrage is certainly justified. It is, it is a, an evolutionary uh, um, position, you could say. And yet also too much moral outrage has, uh, as I said earlier, has a negative effect too. If you get too much negative back of too many things coming at you, then you can feel uh, actually uh, dampened down and that you're actually wrong again. So it has a sort of strange loop effect. It does. Justified is a word I probably okay. wouldn't use. Okay. It's to be expected at the expected. moment, given the life conditions, and I think it's, it's uh, normal human behaviour mm. under these sorts of circumstances that mm -hmm. we're facing. Mm. And there are some very specific issues related to Layer 6 values which are also feeding this particular um, moral outrage outbreak that we're, mm. we're seeing, epidemic maybe. Uh, do you do you want to dive into those now, or should we take a break? No, either we'll start. Okay, Keep going. let, let yeah. me you know, let's go talk about them. So, yeah. one of the things about layer six is that remembering that we've come from layer five, which has been very materialistic, very scientific, very clinical, uh, and also very individually oriented. So it has deconstructed in its own way many of our support structures, the nuclear family, our communities, uh, towns, and community. Uh, groups and those sorts of things have waned under that particular way of living and 
So uh, a big part of layer six is reconnecting with our emotions and learning how to express them. And because we are, I mean, this is an evolutionary shift into layer six. We are expanding. Mm. We're, we're gaining finer um, mm. emotional perception. Uh, the, the capacity to express our emotions better and of course as soon as we pop into that place we want to we want to uh, practice that uh, and it's quite a contrast to the kind of emotional coolness that we saw in uh, in layer five and I'm just for some reason reminded of the James Bond movies you know where everything was very cool and uh, you could kill people and that wasn't really a concern and that that seemed to be I guess an extreme example right. of that scientific industrial way mm. um, and I think there, well, there's certainly more tolerance amongst people who are living according to layer six values of other people expressing themselves, and um, you know, even to the point of of, uh, of being extremely permissive and saying that everybody should have a voice. Therefore, we must listen to people, whatever they have to say, yeah. you know, without putting any boundaries on that, uh, and encouraging people to express themselves mm -hmm. more and, and be emotionally expressive. So mm -hmm. we, we're certainly seeing more of that at the moment. Um, and of course, social media makes that much easier to do. It and, does. Uh, as uh, this same article, Psychology of Moral Outrage, says, social media content is far more likely to be shared and retweeted if it expresses moral outrage. And in fact, some of the algorithms, many companies, social media out, um, companies, also employ algorithms that prioritise content in feeds that is emotional in nature and likely to contain examples of moral outrage. Yeah, so that's, that's right. So we, we often can end up in a, in a social media bubble of mm -hmm. like-minded, like-thinking people. Uh, and of course, as you said before, there's that issue of the, the dopamine hit, yeah. which can come from successfully expressing our outrage and getting positive feedback around that, uh, which may well be an, uh, an avoidance mechanism, just uh, you know, avoiding facing whatever it is that's making us angry inside. Uh, and layer six being a communal value system it's very much about conformity as i said before these communal value systems are where we construct our moral codes mm. that guide us on how to live particularly in community uh, and therefore there's a natural tendency towards conformity which can lead to groupthink in extreme examples and even cult-like behavior where people become afraid of saying something that doesn't fit with what the group feels or what the group expresses. Mm. And the, the main fear there is, um, is being disconnected from the group because a, a central driver of layer six is this need for deep human connection. So mm. often we will uh, minimise rational thoughts uh, in order to hang on to that group connection and the emotional aspect of that. Yeah. We'll take a little bit of a break and we'll come back here on BFM. It is uh, now 10.32 on Future Sense. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Indeed, and we're talking about moral outrage and why we should expect to see a lot of it around at the moment, and we certainly seem to be. And I'm talking now specifically about the emerging paradigm. So the, the immediate uh, value system that uh, on a global scale humanity seems to be shifting to right now, which is out of the scientific industrial paradigm and into what's often been called the relativistic or postmodern paradigm, which is characterized by a very humanitarian approach. It's like we lost our humanity in, in uh, the scientific industrial era and we're trying to bring it back. And also a very network-centric uh, way of organize, organizing ourselves uh, and a tendency to want to judge everything and put everything in the, the frame of human experience, which is often called an anthropocentric view. 
So this value system, this emerging value system, Layer 6 and Graves' model, as a communal system, it's characterised by the desire to change oneself to fit with what the world requires of you. So it's like you've got a radar kind of scanning your life conditions outside you and figuring out, okay, how do I need to adapt to this? As opposed to individual value systems like the the, uh, paradigm that we're just moving out of, the scientific industrial era, uh, which are the opposite. And... In those individual systems, the desire is to change the outside world to fit with what you want personally. And we certainly did that. When we look back at the scientific industrial era, we changed the world in many ways, good and bad. And even though uh, we hear a lot of talk from the emerging paradigm about wanting to change the world and what should be changed in the world and how it should be changed, there's far more talk than action. So we can kind of see that process of primarily changing ourselves to, to fit with what we think the world needs of us and wanting other people to change in that way as well, to conform with the way that we feel. Um, being the last system in the, what Graves called the first tier of consciousness, so that's the first six layers of human consciousness, it's also the last stand for fear-driven behaviour. So one of the yeah. main uh, aspects of this transition from first tier to second tier consciousness, which happens between layer six and layer seven, is the falling away of fear mm. as a major driver of behaviour. So really what we're facing here is the last stand of fear, and, and I think it, it probably makes sense to expect that to, to be significant. Yeah, so we're seeing, certainly seeing a lot of it and driven in all sorts of ways to make people afraid, basically. So it's an interesting um, pushback against that that. Uh, that beginning of letting go of the fear as you're saying yeah it it is absolutely in in between the value systems during the shift process we see this kind of slingshot Mm. dynamic where it's like the tension has to be increased by pulling the elastic band back on the slingshot in order to move us into the next value system and the the second tier shift that shift between six and seven is as far as we know the largest shift that humanity has ever made uh, so we ought to expect that slingshot uh, mm. to have an awful lot of tension on it and and i think this giant upsurge of fear is is feeding that tension mm. in a way that is necessary for our own evolutionary shift uh, we know what fear does to the rational mind it uh, shuts down those parts of our our brain that uh, lead to logical um, responses to problems mm. and it leads therefore to irrational behaviour like uh, for example thinking that all you need to do is get the government to change a policy and, and the weather will change mm. uh, which which is a very widespread belief right now. And generally I guess the extremes as we're talking of, of moral outrage, the extremes of moral out- outrage are, are a lack perhaps of sufficient rationality with regard to a particular issue. There's nothing wrong with, as you said, it's, it's expected that moral outrage will happen in this in this climate of, of life that we live on the planet and yet it also sort of, uh, you have to sacrifice perhaps some, some degree of rationality to, to be that, not to take in all the factors, all the scientific research, all the input that might uh, give you a more complex appreciation of a particular topic, for example. Yeah, what we're talking about here too are subconscious dynamics, so it's not Mm. as if people are choosing to be irrational, it's simply they're they're (laughs) being overwhelmed by their emotions. Overwhelmed, yep. Yeah, Uh, and because it's a communal system that thrives on and requires conformity, people who have already shifted into that layer six value set are, are going to be very critical of people who don't conform so there's going to be a you know a, a general cry for conformance and we're seeing that in the, the global climate debate at the moment where everybody is being uh, morally uh, urged to 
or urged on a moral basis, on the basis of you know moral imperatives to um, conform to to what the the group feels should mm. be done. As uh, to quote George W. Bush, are you with us or against us? Yeah, yeah. And there's some very interesting dynamics in layer six. Each one of the first tier value systems has what we call a shadow aspect, mm. and that plays out as a link to a previous value system and it's it's always the value system three steps down so for layer six the shadow aspect is played out as an expression of layer three which is egocentric and individually oriented value system so it's interesting that whatever the the primary dominant value system is whether it's communal or individual the shadow is the opposite of that mm. which makes sense i guess mm. doesn't it mm. uh, and so what we're what we're seeing from this emerging paradigm layer six is an egocentric shadow and that's showing up in a kind of self-centered approach to perceiving the world and uh, and also to behavior as well and the, the the fact that people are calling this the anthropocentric era is certainly a representation of that self-centeredness and an unconscious self-centeredness so the the shadow by definition is something that hides in the shadows that we can't see you know until it is uh, somehow brought to our attention and we face it as part of our own development and another big example of the the self-centeredness is the selfie itself mm -hmm. the, the tendency for people want to take pictures of themselves and themselves and promote them um another interesting aspect of layer six is uh is what plays out as criticism of people being judgmental which when you think about it if you're criticizing somebody for being judgmental then you're actually judging that person which, which of course is something that completely gets lost in the process <laughs> and uh, essentially it, it comes down to um, again this drive for conformity the the strong uh, subconscious in most cases desire for people to want to get other people to conform to want to be the way that they uh, uh, should be in in that person's eyes in order con to conform with the emerging paradigm and the the standards and morals that are being woven together by the emerging paradigm as it's uh, you know still in the process of emerging right now to a mature state uh, and in extreme cases again that whole process all of those sorts of uh, all, all of those sorts of imperatives uh, can, in extreme cases, result in quite painful personal attacks. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. rather than addressing the issue at hand, uh, whether it be climate change or whatever, then resorting to criticising and trying to bring down the individual who is the, the source of whatever information that you are, you're rejecting. I saw a, uh, a social media post yesterday from our good friend Luca Lesson, wonderful, wonderful poet and artist and great man, who said that, my goodness, uh, social media today is rampant with aggression and uh, outrage and, uh, and uh, negative uh, expressions of all sorts of things. And I guess there's, a, there's literally a climate on social media that's emerging these days. And it's certainly on Twitter that happens often, a sort of bluster, a storm of particular outrage rage about something rather in one direction or the other yeah i i follow uh i use twitter a lot just to try and gauge mm. uh you know the the state of the world and on purpose i follow people whose values i, I wouldn't normally express myself uh so i've got a, a really varied group of people that i follow on twitter just to, to see what people are talking about mm. you know and what they get out of the so, bubble yeah e exactly um and from time to time i'm seeing days where my entire feed is just 
almost about one topic yeah. you know where everybody's just raging about one topic mm -hmm. it's it's quite interesting and rather extreme at the moment there's uh, another article here from psychological science uh, called when moral outrage goes viral it can come across as bullying and that's another aspect right there and then this is some research uh, on so about social media where people can be quick to call attention to racist sexist or unpatriotic behavior for example but when that out outcry goes viral those challenging the behavior may be perceived less as noble heroes doing the right thing and more like bullies and there's some real science about this uh, that uh, when participants for example saw a, a post that was challenging it was a post of uh, obscene gesture that someone was pretending to do or shout next to a sign that read silence and respect at Arlington National Cemetery um, participants saw the post with just a single comment I've said this already before but and they found that laudable but when uh, when suddenly a whole echo of that comes about and uh, and there's a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of people then suddenly they have a different view and the conclusion that they came to about this I think is rather interesting that uh, our findings illustrate a challenging moral dilemma a collection of individually praiseworthy actions may cumulatively result in an unjust outcome obviously the implication is not that people should simply stay silent about others wrongdoing said the researchers but i think it is worth considering whether the mass shaming of specific individuals is really the best way to achieve social progress i think that's rather interesting no i think it is interesting and and there's certainly a lot of uh, collateral damage to this process yeah. and I guess it, it raises the question, you know, what can we do about yes, it? Yes, what can we do? And, and I think the answers are simply to uh, do things that support the mature emergence of this next value set mm. and, and pull us out of this transition period where, you know, there's, a, there's more anxiety and more fear than we would find if we were in, in a stable phase of change. And so those things could include things like building resilient networks and communities. Yeah. Um, and on a on a local level with personal contact ideally because while we oh, yeah. might feel connected and get the impression that we're connecting with people on social media at the end of the day we're not actually connecting in the true sense of the word uh, and it's it's a remote connection which is without the kind of cues that we get when we have personal contact with a per, with, mm. with an individual you know from body language, from gentle sensing, you know, sensing yeah. um, somebody else's vibration, those sorts of things. Yes, indeed. And there's another piece for, from the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology which points to this and the difference between moral outrage and empath empathic anger, meaning anger about wrongful deeds or harmful consequences that actually affect people right in your reality, your family, your friends, your close associates. That's understandable and, of course, you're going to get that and feel that uh, with your close associates if you're really having those, that one-on-one uh, -on -one personal interaction or uh, physical interaction with people. But moral outrage actually is, as I, we've already talked about a little bit, is at distance to some degree and makes you feel better at yeah. best, uh, but doesn't necessarily make the changes that you want to change right here, right now, with people that you're with. Walking your talk, I guess, is the way to put that also. Yeah, exactly. And, and as I said before, you know, that's essentially psychological, project, psychological yes. projection. And when you, get, when you get a hit out of doing it from, you know, a dopamine hit in terms of um, feeling support from other people and feeling that you've done the right thing despite the fact that you're probably avoiding some fear inside you that you're not addressing uh, it, it could become addictive and addictive behaviors yes. and uh, the biggest challenge i see for the emerging paradigm really is to take action to address the the issues which are the root cause of uh, our uh, frustration at the moment and uh, the reason i say that that's a challenge is that as a communal system layer six is essentially focused on 
conforming with a group and changing themselves in order to be accepted, be liked, and to be able to conform and be part of uh, the group, whichever group they identify with. It's not so much about taking physical action to to change the external world, which is more an individual value system uh, task. And and so, uh, despite the fact that it might not be, um, you know, what we're primarily drawn to do, if we can take action locally uh, to resolve what we see as the key issues, mm. uh, you know, at the, at the uh, driving our frustration, uh, we, we of course will see uh, results from that. And uh, the problem that we're facing at the moment is that we're living amongst systems which are failing. We are less and less able to rely on governments to resolve their issues. Uh, even though we're putting more and more energy into trying to motivate them to change their ways. Mm. Um, So if we can create our own local systems, not just sustainable systems, but regenerative systems, uh, and even looking at the basic elements of life, like supplying food, uh, energy, water, those sorts of things to our local communities Mm. in the face of the potential failure of our large-scale systems in the future, um, taking local action to adapt to climate change. And, and what I mean by that is to enable us to continue living in sustainable and regenerative ways despite the uh, changing weather and the extreme weather that we're experiencing, mm. uh, which really ought to be our focus at the moment rather than just making a lot of noise and urging somebody else to do something is actually taking mm. action locally to adapt ourselves and adapt the way that we're living. Um, and first and foremost, to, to look after ourselves and uh, self-care, self-care, self-balance. You know, having a daily practice which which can renew our balance, renew our reconnection with the earth, uh, and and also support our own process de- of development, so that we can move uh, towards the the integration. Uh, and through the integration phase of these new values and start to live in a stable way according to the new value set and our new moral code. Yeah, someone's texted in. So we need a community of second-tier elders to hold people's issues with nuanced compassion that looks beyond superficial condemnations. Yeah. That would be a wonderful thing, and and it will come in time. And uh, it it just prompts me to to mention just a couple of points before we finish off Mm. about those who might be in the transition from first tier to second tier, so from this sixth value set into the seventh. And being the largest shift that we are probably ever going to be faced with in our lifetimes, uh, it's also potentially the deepest and darkest night of the soul Mm. going through that Mm. so it is typically quite challenging because of the amount of tension that we need to experience Mm. in order to shift us that far and yet fear is not the best posture to adopt in that scenario so that's an interesting paradox in itself isn't it 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 is an absolutely Mm. uh, interesting paradox and a big challenge Mm. and and during that transitional time from six to seven uh graves found this in his research back in the 1950s that often a fear of humanity not surviving uh, arises you know and back then the sort of key issue was the potential of global nuclear Nuclear war war, Um, so whatever the the issue of the day is we're likely to latch onto that and hold some fear of humanity not surviving and of course the the process of transition to second tier takes us through that sort of peak of fear and beyond it to the point where fear is no longer a driver of our behaviour. It doesn't mean that we don't feel fear anymore. It just mm. means that in terms of driving our behaviour, it's it's no longer uh, as forceful as it used to be. Yeah. Uh, and so we also, as a, as a species, we can anticipate 
this issue of fear and all of the consequent behaviours that it produces, including moral outrage, to continue uh, to be a, a significant challenge as we move through this transition from first tier to second tier. Well, to conclude there, it's uh, 10.56 here on BayFM. Thanks for joining us here on Future Sense, and we will be back next week. And uh, tune in um, online and tune in to our podcast via futuresense.it. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.